Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Henderson MB Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information on our church, visit hendersonmbchurch.com. Last Friday, I left the office with a whole heap of material, sermon stuff, uh, you know, all kind of manuscript typed out, ready to go, just needed to twiddle it down, you know, great position with the sermon, looking forward to it, that kind of thing. Saturday's kind of, you know, that's family time, and then so in the evening, worked on it for several hours, kind of whittling it down, and, you know, just kind of paring it down for the sermon. And then uh, later on in the evening, at an hour that shall not be disclosed, Um, Joe was finishing some stuff up on the computer and I just went and I just laid on the steps and stared at the ceiling and I was like, babe, like I've been whittling and condensing and chopping and hacking and I'm at like 18 pages. Um, and this should concern you because my average sermon is 8 to 12, okay? So that is why 18 was just not going to fly, uh, because I love you and so that was unnecessary. And, um... So she was good and kind of consoled me, and, and, and we kind of talked through it and realized that actually really dealing with two sermons and, you know, should break it down into some pieces and that kind of thing. And so went back to my computer and worked on that because I didn't want to, I, I don't know, hopefully you don't remember this. I remember this very clearly. It was in like the early days when I was still trying to figure this thing out, which I still am, but it was worse a few years ago. And, um... I just remember there was one Sunday preaching, having a good time, and looked up at the clock, and it, and I, and it was bad because I physically reacted. I remember just looking up the clock and be like, oh, and then there's probably a video of this somewhere, and then you see me doing this. And then there was a hasty conclusion, and I walked off the stage. And uh, that also became two sermons. So I, I didn't want to uh, unintentionally stumble into that today. So here's what the next couple of days are going to look like. Today is Vision Sunday. Simply want to go over what's the big picture kind of mission, vision of our church, kind of a 30,000-foot flyover, explain a little bit of why we do that uh, uh, on a regular basis. Um, next week, maybe two weeks, going to be talking about uh, what does it look like to, uh, to embrace change, to handle change, also, what does it look like to stay healthy inwardly, but still having a strong outward focus and strong outward, um, yeah, a, a, an outward focus while still kind of maintaining internal health. So that'll be one, maybe two Sundays. And then after that, we're going to start on a sermon series on Genesis 1 to 11. Very excited about that. Um, Genesis is typically uh, broken up in, into two parts. One Chapters 1 to 11, really you're dealing with kind of the early era of mankind, once you hit chapter 12, it really focuses in on Abraham and his descendants. And so there's kind of a natural break in the storyline between chapters 11 and chapters 12. So we're going to start off with with, by going after uh, Genesis 1 to 11. Um, I'm both very excited, but also very intimidated about it because Genesis 1, for me, Genesis 1 to 11 is kind of like Revelation and that if you're going to preach on it well, you really need to have a good grasp of, like, all of Scripture. And so I just, I find it very intimidating, but, uh, but also excited, uh, exciting about it. Like, you, you know, we, we kind of have this hindsight is 2020 perspective, right? So by looking through the lens of the New Testament, 
you will see in Genesis 1 to 11 really most of the gospel laid out for you. You know, they, they probably wouldn't have picked up on all of its significance at the time, but in, in our position of, of being able to look back through the lens of Jesus, we, oh, that's what they meant. Oh, that's what was going on. And even though it's very ancient and historical, it really speaks into a lot of our modern day discussions, right? I mean, if you want to have a discussion around how many genders there are, and Facebook would tell you like mid-60s, um, Genesis 1 to 11 will give you the biblical perspective on how many genders there are, right? So it, it just has this neat duality of ancient of ancient, but yet so relevant just for, you know, t- today's situation, today's uh, questions, uh, that kind of thing. So I'm pretty excited about that, and we'll spend, you know, uh, r- probably around three months on, on that one, on Genesis 1 to 11. Um, but so for today, Vision Sunday, uh, at least twice a year I like to do a Vision Sunday, and I like to do it at the beginning of the calendar year, January, that's us, um, but also uh, at the beginning of really kind of our ministry year, which would be in the fall in, in September. And so just very intentional about reviewing it. And um, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, first of all, almost all of my leadership material will talk about how vision leaks. Uh, I, I think it was Bill Hybels that first coined that phrase, how, how vision leaks. And, and this is just an idea that, that I hear repeated. It's worded differently, but it's the same idea. Uh, it can happen in businesses. It can happen in nonprofits. It can happen in churches. Uh, it can happen in families. Um, uh, recently, some of the terminology, they'll talk about vision drift. Um, but it's just this idea where we have this great vision, but if it's not reviewed periodically, then, then people slowly forget about it, forget what it is. It, it just, it kind of leaks out slowly after time until the canister is empty and no one remembers why we did this or, or what it was that, that we were doing. And so it's important for us to review it at intervals. Um, secondly, I mean, twice a year may sound like a lot uh, unless you miss that Sunday. Then it's only once a year. And frankly, and if you miss two of them, then it's been two years, you know. So it, it's really not um, that, that frequent. And so it's very possible that some of you have not heard it before at all. You missed the previous Sundays. You're new here, that kind of thing. So um, some of you, this will be brand new. And perhaps for some of you, you're like, I could give this talk. Uh, and if that's the case, let me know, because I will let you give this talk. That would be awesome. And uh, so that's, that's great. And the other thing, uh, you know, I mean, just kind of around the whole thing of, of vision leaks, it, it is easy to forget, right? I mean, how many of you, bef- like we won't do a show of hands, but how many of you before this morning could name the four banners and the pictures and the graphics that go with it and, and why we landed on this? And, and what it's rooted in, and that kind of thing, right? Like, I mean, it's just, it's just good stuff to, to do. Um, and here, here's kind of the last and most Im- important reason. Uh, I'm a believer that, you know, that as an organization, as, as, a, as a local church, you know, somehow everything needs to be, you, you need to be able to define success, and then everything somehow needs to be connected or tied into or flow out of your definition of success. And if you're engaged in something and you say, yeah, that's not tied into our vision, then you really need to ask a serious question and say, okay, either that 
thing that we do needs to be cut or we need to revamp our, our vision statement because it all needs to be connected to that. The other thing is just that having a, a clear understanding around vision actually provides a lot of clarity in small day-to-day decisions. Um, for the first year or two, it was hard on the day-to-day decisions until we had really worked through and articulated um, some of this, this vision statement stuff. So, um, to answer that question, it, it's important that, that we be, begin in the wrong place with, with proper foundations. Wrong foundations w- will get you going in the wrong direction. So what's the foundation? And our foundation, very simple, you know, big picture, is that we start with Jesus. Who was Jesus? What was his agenda? What was he about? What was he trying to accomplish? What was, he tr- what was his agenda while on earth? And actually, in subtle ways, you're seeing that more and more kind of discussed and debated in that what was, like, really what was the primary purpose for Jesus coming and maybe what were some secondary purposes for Jesus coming. I would offer to you that the primary purpose, if if we're just going to get cutthroat with this, that the primary reason why Jesus came had nothing to do with social causes that you and I would endorse. That the primary reason why he came had nothing to do about saving the environment, equal rights, poor, rich, providing freedom of speech, protecting your Second Amendment, that kind of thing. Now, some of those, I would say, are a secondary effect that do flow out of the gospel, and for that reason... It is very important that that, that we be engaged in in some of those and that we advocate very strongly for those. But I would still maintain that the primary reason why Jesus came was to provide opportunity to be reconciled to God. I would offer to you that while his teachings had the power to change life on earth, it was his death and his resurrection that had the power to change eternity. And that really the, the death and the resurrection was that primary thing, that, that, e- that eternal view. So, why did Jesus come? Uh, Got to keep that at the forefront. Uh, Jesus uh, articulated uh, kind of his mission, his agenda in two key statements. One we have nicknamed the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Um, The the grammar people tell me that the key verb in all of that is make disciples with everything else being an action that hangs off of that. The key verb is not go, the key verb is not baptize, the key verb is not teach, the key verb is make disciples, and then everything else is kind of how that, that is accomplished. Second big reason why he came, we have nicknamed the Great Commandment. Uh, uh, Someone asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we understand that the mission of Jesus really was kind of summarized in those two, two things. So to achieve that mission... Christ formed an organization, an institution. Some would say that he formed a people group. We call that his church. The purpose of the church is go to all corners of the globe in those places, 
fulfill the original mission of Jesus Christ. Uh, and then each church customizes their methods and their techniques based on the people and the era in, in which they serve. If you want the fancy terms for this, we would say that we start with our Christology, which is who is Christ. From that, we move to our missiology, which is what is our mission. And then from the missiology flows our ecclesiology, which is what is church and how do we do church. So it's not that, oh, the church has a missions department. Rather, it is the mission of God has a church. So, Mennonite brethren, we believe that the purpose of the global church begins with the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, and then we find local ways to express that. Um, how do we practically, how do we functionally live that out in our unique communities and in, and in our era? What, and, and then what does that look like for us as, as Henderson MB Church? And to that end, we came up with grow disciples and multiply churches who glorify God and transform communities. Now, if, if you're really clever or not, um, or if you've just been here before, you have probably realized, because here's the little secret, this is simply the Great Commission and the Great Commandment reworded and condensed. That's all this is. Um, over here we have the Great Commission, make disciples. Over here we have the Great Commandment, love God and love people. We just, we just reworded it. And use fewer words. Eight. Right? And, and really, it could go either way. Like, we debated what side to put the banners on. Like, you could say, well, we want to grow disciples and multiply churches who glorify God and transform communities. Or, you know, if you just like to go against the flow of things, you could say, we want to glorify God and transform communities by growing disciples and multiplying churches. Right? You can read them either way. I don't care. You know, we just went with this way, because why not? Six of one, half dozen of the other. Grow disciples, multiply churches. That's a great commission um, expressed individually and corporately. Making disciples, right? Like, that's a, that's a one-on-one basis. Um, New Testament leaders, however, use church planting as a discipleship method. Plus, we want to be engaged with missions, you know, regionally, nationally, and globally, so we incorporate and multiply churches. One's individual, one's corporate. Same thing. It's just kind of a one's addition, one's multiplication. Right? Glorify God. Transform communities. That's a great commandment. We want to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And we thought a great way to, to, to phrase that would be to glorify God. And we want to our, our love our communities in an effective way. So we went with transform communities. And, of course, we're going to expand all that. Um, the uh, Joni came up with uh, the, the graphics or the pictures on each of these. I think she did a great job. We'll, we'll talk through that uh, a little bit as well, too. Um, growing disciples. Okay, so the picture we have, uh, we got a tree with a cross at the center. We can see the roots. We're reminded the value of roots. We're reminded that fruit and vegetation uh, grow from the core. Uh, it's organic. It's agricultural. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree, planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. 
in all he does, he prospers. So, for good reason, we've put a tree with grow disciples. Uh, each of the banners, all, you'll see, also begins with a verb. A use of the word growing is intentional. Growing is something that takes time. It takes care and nutrition and proper environment. It is slow. It is organic. It is both predictable and yet mysterious. Um, it can experience setbacks. Uh, growing disciples, it, as we've said, is individual. It focuses in on the single person. Um, our, so this is kind of big picture, and, and you know you kind of work down in layers. Uh, the next layer down for Grow Disciples, our approach to that would be large group, small group, no group. Uh, write that down. It's really clever. I didn't come up with it, but, but, but that is good. Large group, small group, and no group. Large group is the Sunday service. Uh, we worship together. We sing. We give tithes and offerings. We pray before and after. We chat. We hang out. Uh, I teach you scriptures. Sometimes we do a little business, upcoming events, new strategies. This is what most people are familiar with. This is kind of the, the form of church that, that most people think of when, when they think church. Um, but you also have the small group. Uh, so this is like Sunday school, midweek small groups, Bible studies, discipleship groups, so, you know, whatever you want to call it. You know, you got a dozen people or less. Uh, prayer time, unity, working through conflicts to a deeper level of trust. Uh, these are the kinds of things that only happen in small group. In the large group, I mean, it's really kind of more of a lecture style. You sit, you all face one direction, I talk at you, hopefully no one falls asleep and it's good. In a small group, you sit in a circle, you look at each other in the face, and you're like, hey, how's life? Last week was a bit rough. How you doing? What's going on? Hey, that was really offensive when you said that one thing. Can we talk about that? Can we, can we celebrate with those who celebrate? Can we mourn with those who mourn? Can we laugh with those who laugh? That happens in small group. It, it doesn't happen well in here. I, I don't know if you, you knew this, but the Sunday service is actually a horrible time to make deep friends. Really, it doesn't happen. And when people come to only the Sunday service and expect to make great deep friendships, they get disappointed because it doesn't happen. It's not built to happen in large group. It happens in the small group. Things happen in small group that cannot happen anywhere else. Um, also, the other thing, just as we grow more and more, you will see that the front lines of pastoral care happens within small groups. A lot of the things that I listen to, uh, 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 read, that kind of thing, they say when a church really hits the 200 mark, your front lines of pastoral care has to be the small group. In, in a church of our size, you can still have either, you know, uh, uh, the pastor or a care team handling most of the, the, the pastoral care stuff. But as you get bigger, that the front lines, it really has to go to the, the small group. Now, I mean, you still have other people for the really difficult situations, of course. Um, but as churches grow, your paid staff shift from doing the pastoral care to becoming like, you know, air traffic controllers, where it's like, okay, you need to meet with them, and you need to meet with them, and you go over here, and you go there, that kind of thing. Third, no group, okay? So this is you and your Bible for 15, 30, 45 minutes a day, whatever, daily reading, daily listening to Scripture, spending time in prayer and gratitude and reflection. Um, there are fascinating studies that show 
you have to get scripture in your brain four times a week for you to actually experience life change. If you're at the two to three mark, you're, you're not actually experiencing life change. Somehow, in some capacity, whether you read it or listen to it, scripture, and, and, just, and just pure, unfiltered, straight scripture, not devotionals, not someone else's sermon, not whatever, pure scripture, you got to get that in your brain four times a week for you to actually live a lifestyle that is different than the non-Christian. Okay, so that's, that's your benchmark. New Year's resolutions. There you go. Four times a week. Um, as, as I said before, no substitute for, for any of these. Each of these, large group, small group, no group, they do something that, that the other two can't. Right? Um, you're getting something here that is not provided in the small group and, and the no group. No group provides something that... i got to keep them all straight. Um, anyway, yeah. Each provides something that the other two can't. Remember that. You can write that down, too. I didn't come up with that either. Uh, secondly, multiply churches. So we've got a, a picture of a building representing the, the people in an organized fashion. The water is representative of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that, that's an illustration we see in Scripture. The church grows. It's refined by the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is no church growth without the working of the Holy Spirit. No healthy church without the Holy Spirit having freedom to, to call the shots. Um, our personal, individual growth happens within the context of local church. You just, you, you can't, in the long run, you cannot sustain good spiritual health wi- without the, the context of the local church. Um, best definition thus far that I've read on local church uh, comes from uh, Mark Driscoll's book, Vintage Church. He, he gives this definition. The local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, are unified by the Spirit, disciplined for holiness, scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. To see people become disciples is fantastic. That's addition. To see churches planted is is multiplication. Uh, Again, from what I've heard and read, church planting remains one of the most effective forms of evangelism uh, that that we have today. Uh, Church plants typically will see larger numbers of conversion and baptisms than, than your more established churches. Plus, you have just churches are declining at oh what is it i think it's three percent uh on a yearly basis and so for us to be maintaining we need to be planning churches at a three percent growth rate which is where our denomination is right at three um the ideal number is six percent uh but there's only one denomination in the u.s that's hitting that number and i don't even remember which one it is it was was one that, that, I, that I hadn't heard of. So, uh, when it comes to multiplying churches, uh, we think regionally, we think nationally, and we think globally. Uh, so, at the national, at the global level. So, we've got this strong connection with Greenhouse Church Plant over in Utah. Uh, we've sent them VBS teams. They 
continue to, to dream maybe about someday sending a missions team here. That would be fantastic. Some of you have visited on your own. I love that. I try to do one or two vision trips a year to Utah, taking other pastors, uh, people from our congregation, uh, business leaders in the community, uh, that kind of thing. They need us, and we need them. Uh, church planners have a risk-taking, outside-the-box thinking, evangelistic, pleading prayer life that we can just continually to learn from. Uh, so we give financially, we visit, we send teams, we pray for, um, but, but we want to learn from as much as possible. So whenever they're in town, I'm like, take the pulpit, please, and teach us something. Uh, it's, it's great. Um, and there, I mean, people with motorhomes, retirees, right? Like, group together and just drive out there and be like, hey, we're here for the summer. Put us to work. You know, like, that would be awesome uh, for them. Lost for us. Not trying to get rid of anyone. Just feel like I got to say that. But, um, the, you know, you guys just have a lot of free, like, and give them a heads up. Like, don't literally just show up unannounced. Let them know you're coming. Globally, we support Kenton and Kedron Miller. They're now in Austria. We uh, support Paul and Sarah Rogus. They're serving in Paris. We want to continue to be in church planning uh, around the world. Um, and, you know, we need to be thinking uh, another trip to, to the Millers and, and in Austria and to the Rogus in France. And those should be easy to recruit for because it's Austria and France. But, uh, you know, we need, we need to get some people out there again. Regionally, we want to be a, a church that makes Jesus known in rural Nebraska. And uh, this church w- was founded on a vision and a model. Really, today we would call it satellite campuses, satellite congregations. Um, they, they set up other church congregations um, that looked to this church for leadership, for preaching, for guidance, for communion, for that kind of thing. I mean, it was the original vision of this church to not think Henderson, but really to think Midwest. I mean, there were church planning efforts that, that this church engaged in outside of Nebraska as well, too. It is in our heritage. It is in our DNA. It was in, in that founding vision to think beyond our, our local community. And the other thing is church planning efforts, for, for many good reasons, most of them are targeting the big cities and the urban areas. Okay, that's great. That's wonderful makes sense for a lot of reasons what happens though is that the byproduct is that increasingly rural areas are getting neglected well we'll pick that up like we'll step into that that sounds fantastic you know and more and more there's a plethora of available church buildings that are lying dormant if we need them you know so um uh, nebraska is is our responsibility we want to step into ownership of that it's, we're playing the long game on that, right? But, I mean, these are our people, and no one is going to understand small-town Nebraska better than we do. So let's, let's step into that. Glorify God. Um, the picture that we have, with there, there's a lantern. Uh, in the center of the lantern, there's, there's a flame. It produces light, but, but then at the core of the flame is a heart. And at the core of us glorifying God is love for God. Uh, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's at the heart of it. And as we love God, the, the result is light, and light on a hill that, that cannot be hidden. And this one's actually, in some ways, this one's kind of hard to define because really this one is the heart of all three of them. You know, so you could really just say, 
yeah, we want to glorify God. And, and, you know, like you could almost just skip to transformed communities. But it's, but, uh, but yeah. So, I mean, there, there are ways, though, that, that we practically do engage in that. But that, that really is at the heart of all of this. One way that we do that is musical worship. Uh, worship is a key component of what it means to, to glorify God. Uh, Christianity as a religion just has this unique just involvement in music as worship that I, I don't think we see in a lot of other uh, religions. And this church has got a great history of music, of musical worship, of talent, of talent at all generations. Like, And that is awesome, right? Because it's, it's rough when you're in the small church and it's worship time and the dude hits play on the CD player, you know? Like, um, we are very blessed. Don't ever take that for granted. Uh, what what we got going on here that that's just fantastic uh, and worship is it's a gift of gratitude to a savior who saved us from an eternity of burning in hell and we get paradise with him instead i mean multiple thank yous are in order that's that's pretty significant uh and it's an attitude it, it's it's more than just music it's an attitude it's a way of life uh, and sometimes it is a choice. Sometimes we don't feel like worship, and we're not in the mood, and, you know, the music is wrong, and that kind of thing. But worship is not about us. Worship is a gift of gratitude to the one who saved us. And as I've told you before, you know, I mean, with Trek teams, we'd send them all over the world, and for months, they'd have to sit through musical worship in a language that they were learning, and it was hard. And we would tell them suck it up stand up and try to sing along with it just the best you can you know so um i think i even once threatened that if we got grumbly we were just going to sing in swahili for like three weeks um but we probably won't really do that um another way we worship is finance right tithe is the 10 percent offering is anything above and beyond 10 percent tithe is that standard act of obedience offering is beyond the tithe uh, it's it's an act of worship. Um, I am more interested in your obedience and in you engaging in worship in this way than I am in your money. And so if for whatever reason you got issue with this church uh, and you don't want to give money here, that's fine. Tithe to another church or another organization. But I would rather have you tithe than than not tithe. Um, because this, this isn't a... This isn't about money. This, this is about stewardship, understanding what is God's, and just that, that act of, of worship. Speech is a great way, how we talk to one another, how we talk about one another, how we express gratitude to God. Uh, community, keeping short accounts, being in right relationship with one another. Uh, John thirteen thirty five. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Um, you cannot, you cannot learn to appreciate relationship with Jesus without also learning to appreciate relationship with other people. The, the two are linked. Your love for God and your love for people are linked, and one will not grow independently from the other one. You are not going to go off the charts at one and fail at the other. They, they, they will grow John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, 
cannot love God whom he has not seen. So, uh, community is one of the ways that we glorify God. Transform communities. Uh, the picture is of a community. Uh, it's held in hands. Uh, there's a heart, meaning it's encircled in love. Um, only God can hold an entire community in his hands, but we want to do our part to surround that community uh, with love. Um, the, the, the community that we live in, we, we want to love them, reach them, and see transformation. The wording is kind of unique, but at the same time important here. Because you can love someone, and they don't realize it. So if we were to just say, love community, I, that's, that's good. But how do we know that they're actually receiving that, and knowing that, and accepting that? And, and I forget the author, but you know he wrote the book, The Five Love Languages. And it, yeah, so very helpful, but just an understanding how each of us gives and receives loves differently, right? Through words of affirmation, through acts of service, you know, all, all these other different kinds of things. So this is one way to simply hold ourselves accountable to say, are we loving our community in such a way that they are receiving it and being transformed by it? Because if we're loving our community, but there's no change happening, then there's a disconnect somewhere, and, 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 we, and we need to change something. So, so this, this wording is really just a way of, of holding us accountable. Um, and we do this in different ways, right? We love Henderson, showing God's love in practical ways, doing community service projects. Uh, the Wednesday Night Live program is a huge part of this. Amazing kids ministry. Amazing. Kids from all over town. I mean, I think it's like two-thirds don't have a church home on Sunday. Uh, a lot of the, the, the parents don't have a church home. It's remarkable outreach. We're involved in the backpack program. Oh, we just did Christmas in the barn. Fantastic event. Many of you give up your, your Christmas Eve to participate in that. But I still hold that with Christmas in the barn, the ideal target audience is the person without a Christian home. Simply because I don't want to exhaust all of our volunteers putting on a performance for a bunch of people who already love Jesus and are well-connected in a local church. I, I mean, that, that's, that's great and all, but the, the, the target audience is, is those without a church home and that they would find a church home. Um, a lot of you are involved in various school and community programs, and that's fantastic. Live the gospel. Speak the gospel in those situations. Raise the risk in what you're willing to talk about. It is not enough to simply be a nice person. It's not enough to just simply be a friend. Force yourself to take the conversation beyond the weather and the crop and the sports teams. So, lots of ways to, to love our community. Maybe someday these will change. Maybe someday we'll find better ways to articulate them. Um, these are not set in stone. Scripture is. This is our contextual, contemporary, simplified expression of the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. It's contextual, we're, we're, we're trying to adjust it for us. It's contemporary, we're trying to adjust it for 2018. And it's simplified. We're at eight words rather than like 50. So, the, these are subject for change, but for right now, it's good. It's what we got. We're going for it. Um, this year, our team leaders are going to go through the book, Simple Church. Uh, we've already started. It's by Thomas Rayner and Eric Greiger. Um, and I, I, I think that's going to be really good in helping us to understand and articulate the discipleship process, that, that's an area that I'd like to see us strengthen this year. That's a, uh, just 
what does discipleship look like? What does the discipleship process look like? Um, and just help us to better understand the, the Grow Disciples component. Uh, what does it mean to go from exploring to attending to growing to, to serving? Uh, I think it will be helpful just in getting us all on the same page and understanding the process, using similar terminology, um, that kind of thing. But at the same time, while we want to get better at that, we, we want to do it by using what we already have and not just adding a bunch of classes and adding a bunch of programs and, you know, now you all need to attend some seminary course for three hours every night or something like that. We're not, we're not wanting to do that, just, just to clarify. But here's my encouragement to you, though, is that whatever your current level of spirituality or church involvement, this year would you consider taking the next step in that? So, um, kind of wherever you're at, would you consider baptism? Would you consider membership? Uh, maybe for some, it, it is making a first-time commitment to Christ. Would you consider joining a small group? Uh, would you consider serving with a, a ministry team? What does it look like for you to, to lean in on your relationship with God? What does it look like to lean in with God's local expression of his mission, the local church? Um, we've, you know, there were some neat commitments that happened at Harvest Missions Festival. We're not wanting to leave that. We're actually going to continue to talk about that a little bit over the next couple weeks as well to just review uh, some of that, that that people were willing to step into. I still have my keychain and look at it multiple times a day, and it's a reminder of my commitment and what it is that, that I want to do, and uh, ho- hopefully you guys are doing the same thing. Um, friends, it's my belief that, that the greatest gift that God gave us was relationship with Him. Uh, salvation from sin, restoration of relationship with Him, uh, we broke that in the Garden of Eden. And so the single greatest gift that, that he gave us is that. Pretty close after that. I don't know if it's right at second, but it maybe it is second. Um, if it's not second, your spouse should be second. But um, this is the second greatest gift uh, that, that I think God gives us is his invitation to work with him to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think we fully grasp just how big and how big of an honor that is. And so what does it look like for us to continue to step into that and to move into that and and be found faithful into that? Um, if I had a wish or a prayer for, for everyone here, it would be that, that someday you enter heaven and there is great fanfare on your entering because you were found faithful for all that God entrusted into your care. Streamers, balloons, paper thingies falling from the sky, trumpets, that kind of thing. When you enter heaven, heaps of fanfare because of your, your faithfulness, right? We'll be on earth going through our tears and grieving process, that kind of thing. But for you, being found faithful for, for all of that. So, um... Excited about this, excited about your church. We love you guys. Joe and I have just continued to grow in our love of you and this community and this place and this church. So uh, very excited about our future. Next couple Sundays, I'm going to talk some more about change and just how we continue to move forward and and stepping into some of this before we launch into Genesis. So let's pray. And um, yeah, that was not 18 pages, so you're welcome.
Heavenly Father, this morning we do thank you for the gift of you, for the gift of restored relationship that's made available by the, the costly um, death of your son that you paid on our behalf. And so, Lord, first and foremost, we just want to say thank you for that. And that we accept that, we receive that, and we're so very grateful. And secondly, Lord, we do want to say thank you for the invitation to, uh, to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and to be a part of that. Lord, that's also a gift that, that we never want to uh, take for granted. Lord, thank you for the rich heritage of this local church, this local, regional expression of your mission. Lord, we also thank you for the future of this church. And God, we, we believe, uh, we believe that there is a great, bright, wonderful future for this local expression of your mission. And God, we want to step into that fully. And so Lord, whatever it takes, uh, we say that we are ready and we are willing and we are excited. We love you, and we worship you. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at hendersonmbchurch.com or email me directly at luke at hendersonmbchurch.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care, and God bless.